going to ask you guys some questions, and you don't have to raise your hands. Have you ever been afraid that you've let somebody down, that you have disappointed someone? Maybe you've experienced a time in your life when things seemed like it should be simple, but the more that you learned and the further you went, you realized that it wasn't really as simple as it seemed. Maybe a life experience has made it challenging for you to trust people. Maybe you're feeling fearful about the future or the future of the next generation. If I can be perfectly honest and a little bit vulnerable, I have been in a season of transition for the past several months now. I came on the Clay Church staff at the end of September, and I have been working and searching to be able to answer a call that God has placed on my life for much longer than that, honestly. So some of you might have heard me kind of joke a few times that being nervous at this point of transition is kind of a personality trait for me, but if I'm being honest and vulnerable in the midst of all of this transition from the known and the predictable of the library world that I came from to the incredible and a little bit messier and unpredictable and sometimes tumultuous world of ministry, I have frankly been in a season of feeling almost constantly, continually fearful. I've been worried about disappointing people. I've been worried about not living up to expectations. I've been worried about not living into my full potential. I've been worried and fearful about disappointing all of you, this congregation of Clay Church that I love. And probably the biggest fear of all is that I will somehow disappoint or fail God in one way or another. So this month at Clay Church, we are taking stories that we know, stories that maybe we knew as children, and we're turning them inside out to get to know the heart of God. So when Pastor Brian invited me to teach about the story of Cain and Abel, a story we know, and how this story might connect to fear, I knew that I would have a story that I could preach to my own heart, that I would have lessons to learn. And I hope something that I can teach to each and every one of you as well. As I mentioned, we will be in the story of Cain and Abel this morning, but before we get to that, will you pray with me? Holy and loving and merciful and gracious God, we thank you for your powerful presence, and we welcome your Holy Spirit in this place to move among us. We thank you for your sweet spirit, and we open our minds and our hearts to what you may reveal to us on this day. May each of us have a heart that is willing to listen and learn so that we can know you more in your heart let us be in community with one another and help us to be in community with you. 
Help us, God, on the days that we want to lean into our own understanding and our own experiences and our identities, to lean into you with hearts that are ready to trust you and your spirit and your divine plan for each and every one of us. God, today give us spirits that are free of fear. Help us to know and to understand that we are enough just as we are. And help us to welcome others who seek to know that they too are enough. We pray all of these things in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the story of Cain and Abel is a story that if you grew up in the church, you probably heard it from a young age. Maybe you went to a Sunday school class and learned it from Sunday school teachers. But even if you didn't grow up in the church, this is a story of two brothers that have permeated our culture. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain asks God. This is a phrase that we hear all the time in popular culture. We hear it in movies. We hear it in music. We read about it in other books. The stories that we associate with jealous brothers informs the ways in which we relate to one another and the expectations that we can place on ourselves. Cain, the story goes, murders his brother Abel after God favors Abel's sacrifice of the best portions of a lamb. Your translation might also say the fatty portion of a lamb over Cain's sacrifice of crops. As a kid, I tended to think of this Old Testament God as a mean God who didn't like Cain's offering. And I also thought of Cain as a tricky, jealous, and vengeful brother. We tend to think of Cain and Abel as a story about offering our very best to God and the consequences of denying God the very best that we have to offer as we live out our daily lives. The story is often told as a cautionary tale against violence, anger, jealousy, and cheating God out of his deserved worship. And I don't think that those lessons are not included in this story, but, but the word of God is powerful to teach us so much more than that. I'm going to read the story of Cain and Abel. And if you've heard this story before, I have two questions that I just want you to keep in mind as I read. Number one, when did God ask Cain and Abel for a sacrifice in the story? And number two, how did Cain and Abel know what kind of sacrifice would be pleasing? All right. Adam made love to his wife Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? 
If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on this earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. For the past several months here at Clay Church, we have been wrestling with scriptures make us ask questions, and the origin stories in the Torah definitely make us ask no, definitely make us ask questions. They are no different. Pastor Brian has often mentioned that when we've come across scriptures that make us ask questions, even and probably especially challenging questions and uncomfortable questions, that this is really an invitation to go deeper into the scriptures in order to build a relationship with God and get to know a God who calls us beloved friends. So the two questions I posed to you earlier before I read the scriptures were kind of like trick questions. In the scriptures, did God ask Cain and Abel for a sacrifice at all? No. Did the scripture indicate that Cain and Abel knew what kind of offering would please God? No. Did God ever instruct Adam and Eve to teach their children about what makes for a good or worthy sacrifice? No. This is a story that has, over the course of time, taught us somehow that Cain was cheating God out of a sacrifice by offering up a harvest instead of offering up a lamb to God, that in offering God fruits of the soil instead of fruits of a flock, or even in the wording of Cain bringing some of the fruits of the soil, we've concluded that Cain is offering less than his best to God. But in drawing this conclusion, we miss out on a few of the details. Many of us, myself included, grew up reading this story as if everyone knew somehow that God preferred an animal sacrifice or a blood sacrifice, but God had not required any sort of sacrifice at this point, this early in the origin stories. That didn't come until later. I'm sure that Pastor Brian would love to talk to you about the Levitical laws can learn all about sacrifices. But early 
Surely texts in Genesis like this one might also make us ask some more challenging questions, some more uncomfortable questions about the character of God. Why did God deny Cain's offering? How can God be all loving and yet reject Cain's sacrifice? How is that fair? We know God as being a God of love, but yet this story does not reflect that character that we come to expect. And so, because we assume that God requires blood sacrifice, we therefore assume that Cain has offered God less than his best in an unworthy sacrifice. And then we conclude that is why God favored Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. But again, in that conclusion, we miss out on some very important information. It's a very short verse. Based on verse 2, Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. Verse 2 says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So their respective sacrifices, their acts of worship, were appropriate to their talents and their vocations. God was not requiring any sort of sacrifice at all. These were acts of worship that Cain and Abel made not to appease an angry God, but, but acts of worship from a reverent heart. Acts of worship from a reverent heart based on their talents and their vocations. Another interesting piece of biblical trivia that I think might be interesting to dig into, something worth mentioning, is the meaning of Cain's name. The name Cain in Hebrew literally means acquire. A more direct translation of Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 would read like this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have acquired a man. Now, names in the Bible you might know are very, very important. They usually carry a lot of weight. The name Cain refers not only to his birth, his origin story, but also to his identity. We read about the importance of names and living into our identities that God gives us throughout the Bible. Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah, Jacob becomes Israel, and Simon becomes known as Peter. So the name Cain means acquire, and acquiring is a large part of Cain's identity. Since we have concluded together that Cain was a farmer, we can begin to understand that Cain would have been in a position to essentially acquire the fruits of the soil that he would have offered in sacrifice. Would you do me a favor? And I have a vegetable garden. Does anyone else have a vegetable garden at home or flower beds? One person, all right. <laughs> anyone know a farmer or is a farmer? Or is anyone just really looking outside their window at the yellow grass and being so grateful for the little bit of rain that we've had today? There we go. <laughs> if, you, um, if you ever watered a vegetable garden or watered a uh, flower bed, um, you would know that um, 
a lot of the success of your garden is kind of out of our control. I can stand out in my vegetable garden every single day with a garden hose, but without the nutrients that come from the rain showers, my plants will suffer. And they're starting to suffer. So we're praising God for rain. So in the same way, Cain's sacrifice of the fruits of the soil is a little bit out of his control. Cain is dependent on God to be able to acquire, there's our word again, to be able to acquire a sacrifice to offer back to God. Cain relies on God for the sun to rise. Cain relies on God for the water, the rain, to water his crops. He relies on God for the right soil conditions. And he even relies on God for just the knowledge of knowing when to plant and when to harvest. So when God does not look on Cain's sacrifice with favor, Cain's world falls apart. This is the pain of rejection, the pain of rejection that all of us have experienced surely at some point in some way. Because Cain's sacrifice has not won favor with God, his very identity as an acquirer becomes jeopardized. When we turn the story of Cain and Abel inside out and we start to explore it through a new lens, we find that it is so much more than a story about jealousy or violence or not giving God our best, though that's in there too. But this is a story about hurt and anger and fear and how we manage these feelings. Cain is angry. That conclusion is true. But he's not only angry with his brother, Cain is also angry with God. Cain feels rejected. He feels that his personhood, his very identity as an acquirer for God, has been removed. Cain is angry with God because in God rejecting his sacrifice, Cain feels that God has rejected him. Cain is angry because he doesn't know who he is if God does not accept him for this offering. And don't we, too, put lots of stake in our identities? We put stake in our reputations. We put stake in our family names. We might put stake in our positive character traits. We might put stake in our careers. We might put stake in our status as being a good friend or being a good parent being a good adult child. So what happens when we try to control this narrative of who we are is that it reveals to us that fear shows up. And fear shows up as the opposite of trust. When fear shows up in our lives, it paralyzes us in our ability to trust God. Fear causes us to doubt. And fear leads to feelings of inadequacy. Cain is afraid, terrified even, of being separated from God. Can't you hear the pain in Cain's voice in these verses? God says, 
Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain has experienced God's goodness throughout his life. He has been a witness to the ways in which God has provided in his lifetime. As a farmer, Cain, up to this point, has trusted God to provide the sun, the rain, the soil, and all the resources that Cain needs to do his work and work his fields. This fear of being inadequate to God, this fear of being far from God, has afflicted Cain. It afflicts all of us with feelings of shame, anger, and what the Bible says is downcastness. Before the fall, Genesis 2 tells us that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. But then in the very next chapter, we see deception and sin and the subsequent hardship and banishment from the garden. And right now, today, most likely in this room, as a result of the fall, we as humanity experience shame, downcastness, anger, fear. So what do you experience when you feel fear? Fear manifests itself in different ways for us. Fear makes us feel powerless. Fear makes us want to be in control. Fear might make us feel paralyzed or frozen. Fear makes us feel hopeless or worthless. Fear leaves us feeling inadequate and deflated and defensive. Fear makes us ask, have I done enough? Fear makes us ask, Am I worthy? Fear makes us ask, am I safe? We learned earlier that Cain felt fearful in part because he had lost his position, his very namesake as an acquirer when he felt rejected. So when we start to lose these identities that we feel make us who we are, like Cain, we find ourselves suddenly faced with the fear that we are not good enough. We let ourselves get so caught up in the identity of what we do and not simply who we are and in who God created us to be. You are a beloved friend of God. And no matter what you have to offer to God, you are worthy.
Multiple different studies over the years have shown up in reports like Forbes, the Washington Post, and Harvard Business Review, and they all find that retirement or a sudden job loss are known causes of identity crises, and these can lead to feelings of loss of confidence, feelings of loneliness, feelings of isolation, and even depression. The average person spends an estimated of one-third of their lives at work, so it's no wonder that for many of us, a huge portion of our identity is tied to job and career. So much of our identity is based on what we do instead of simply being God-inspired creations. And there is so much fear tied into our performance. Fear makes us want control more than we want to trust. But there's good news. God, in God's goodness, wants more for us than shame, downcastness, anger, and fear. Just as he wanted more than this for Cain, Verses 6 and 7 remind us, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. This sin crouching at your door is exactly what we've just talked about. God refers to Cain's temptation to give into this fear, his anxiety, his feelings of uncertainty, and his anger at God for not accepting his sacrifice. Instead of living a life that gives into fear, God desires Cain's companionship. Instead of asking, instead of living a life that asks, am I enough? God desires to be in relationship with each one of us. So the tragedy of the story is not that Cain becomes far from God. God is always near to us. The tragedy of the story is that Cain does give in to the sin crouching at his door. But we have so much to learn about God's grace in this story. I hope that we've all learned together about the goodness of God and the hope that comes from being in relationship. In this story, the story of Cain and Abel, and in our own stories, your story, my story, we have learned that God is faithful to provide. God is trustworthy. God does not want us to be afraid. We're just saying we are no longer slaves to fear. We are beloved children of God. God desires our connection. If you hear me say nothing else this morning, hear me say that God loves you. You are worthy. We have been reminded of these sweet and simple truths over and over again the past few months. 
We can rest easy knowing that by God's grace and by God's mercy, we are not powerful enough to stop God. Praise Jesus. God will not push you away. God will not reject you. God will not abandon you. You are not inadequate. And God loves you. Amen.